Welcome to Philly Prime. I'm Dave Schratweiser. Joining me this week is my colleague and partner in crime, George Anastasia. George, welcome to the show again. Good to be here, Dave. Thank you. And George, we have the uh, very, very uh, exquisite privilege here of uh, having on a young man who is uh, got a great book out right now. It's called Giovanni's Ring. Uh, for folks in Jersey, you're going to love this book. It is a uh, Jersey-centric book, and it's about his uh, his life uh, undercover with the FBI in the DeCalvacanti crime family. Right. And, George, you know that family well because it's uh, based on the real Sopranos. That's right. It's, it's a Jersey-based family. But this, if, if, you, if you liked uh, Donnie Brasco, if you liked Jackie Garcia's book, ja- Being Jackie Falcone, you're going to love this book. It, it just puts you right in the life. And it's, it's, it's a good story, and it's a fascinating story. So Giovanni Rocco, for the purposes of this show, a.k.a. Giovanni Gatto, his undercover name when he was with the DeCalvacanti crime family. Welcome to the show, Giovanni. We are extremely pleased to have you. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, George. Sure. It's a- an absolute pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, great. Um, listen, uh, let's start off with uh, uh, doing the book. Why did you do it? Uh, why did you feel like you wanted to tell this story? Well, I guess it was a healing process for me, Dave. Um, I started the book while I was being relocated i started to make notes just to cope it was suggested to me by a uh, one of the psychologists in the, in the program and i started taking notes and i would just write down my my events that happened to me along the way and then um, i met some people at anywhere i would go for trainings they would say listen you know when i did fbi trainings or i did law enforcement conferences they would always ask me please you know go write a book or do a movie the story is great and I was always honored to hear that, but then uh, along the way, I was introduced to my co-author who helped me with the book, Doug Schofield, mm-hmm. and uh, we just built a relationship, and I swore if I ever decided to do it, it would be with him. Okay. Sure. No, you did a good job with that. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing, and, and, and I think people sometimes lose sight about what organized crime is all about, it's always about money. I mean, you got into this with the swag, which allegedly stolen property stuff, and that's the way you were able to kind of insinuate yourself into the organization. It's it's greed and money, isn't it? Is that, is that what it's about? That drives the world. Yeah, it drives yeah. the underworld. It drives the world. Um, greed and money is always it, George. And, uh, you know, these guys, they try to stay above board. They do a little bit of both. You know, what we call in that world the right and the left. Right. You know, the left is what you do bad. Right is, you know, legit businesses. We had them as well. Yeah. Um, Giovanni, I got to tell you, the first chapter, you know, that line, you had me at hello. Uh, you had me at the first chapter there. I mean, uh, it's, it's just an interesting story. Kind of grabbed me by the nostrils yeah. and dragged me into the book. Uh, you know, it's a day in the life. Uh, tell us about that first chapter. You're in a spot like right off the bat in this book, right? Oh, yeah, it was right. Uh, you know, that's why I had to start it with that chapter. By that point, I was pretty well. Uh, well, um, I had a good footing where I was. I was around a bunch of guys, serious guys. Uh, in the beginning, I was around knock around guys, wannabe gangsters, what we call wangsters. Right. Um, and the serious guys were, you know, once I was with Charlie and he put me where I was, uh, he put me in some situations because when I had to speak for him or go on his behalf, I didn't I wasn't able to question it and ask, OK, you want me to go see this guy, George? Well, what is he? What am I doing there? What am I saying? Yeah. And uh, in that first chapter, I was already at odds with Louis. Uh, our crews were at odds with each other. And now you want to throw me in with Kyle Ragusa, 
school. You've read that I, you know, a yep. guy I had arrested but took part in that. Mm. And then uh, let's throw Nikki to whip in there just for, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, we're going to get local gonna interest, yeah. Hey, yeah. Let's just explain to folks the Charlie he's talking about is a cop, uh, capo in the, the Calvacanti crime family, Charlie Stango, with uh, serious ties to the Gambinos, the Lucchese's, the Columbo's, the Genovese crime family, and Luigi is Oliveri, correct? Am I right about that? Um, yeah. So yep. uh, spot on. You, yep. You're yeah, some heavy yeah. hitters right yeah. off the bat yeah. there in that story. And, and yep. tell a story. You guys are in a restaurant, right? And uh, – uh, Kyle Ragusa and Nikki Whip are going to come see you, and you're nervous about that because you busted Kyle Ragusa years before, and there's a good chance you're going to get undone at the at the restaurant there because he's going to recognize you. Right. Yeah. So um, I, I was in the the Gambino's Borgata, as we call it. It mm-hmm. was their uh, it was their business. They oversaw it, and um, I knew Louis was trying. At that point, we were at such odds with each other that you know Louis had lost me. He tried to put stake a claim on me. Uh, before this, there was a big sit-down where Charlie had to come into New Jersey and have a, a sit-down with Louie and the administration, and they both had an argument over who was going to take Giovanni into their crew. Charlie obviously won that by then. That did not sit well with Louie. Um, and then it was, we had some serious odds. John Riggie, the, the then boss of the family, who was getting ready to step down, he was in his 90s at the time. He was going to pass the torch. So there was some uh, infighting in the family, and um, Charlie was on one side, Louie was on the other, and... Uh, Louis decided he wanted to see me over something, mm. and he called me, and I, I just had that gut feeling that something's not right. Yeah. Uh, Charlie demanded that I go see him, um, and I kind of set it up where I was in a safe zone, and somebody told me, the guy, he said, look, I'm sitting here all day. Just bring him here. Make him come here. Yeah. And I did, thank God. And he said, listen, anybody's not, nobody's going to try to hurt you mm. because the Decavacantes were flying their flag under the Gambinos. I was in a Gambino house, so I thought, okay, I'm fine. Mm. Mm. And... uh so then I get, you know, I, I set the meeting up. I told Louie, I'm here. This is where I am. I'm trying to find some welders from the dump, dump trucks that I was running at the time for a legitimate business I was helping. And uh, he he bit. You know, he took the bait, and he decided he was going to come and get a couple of cases of cigarettes. And then uh, when he showed up, by the time he showed up, as you read in the chapter, there were some heavy hitters in there. Mm-hmm. And I was waiting on Kyle Ragusa to come and Nikki to whip uh, from, from down in Philly area, who were friends with these guys, and they were there for business. And uh, when I heard Ragusa's name, you know, I just panic inside internally. But yeah. again, there's an undercover. You maintain, you breathe, and I, let's see where it goes. Kyle walked in, and you know, there was a lot of tension. But then by then, it was introduced. This is Giovanni. He's Charlie's kid, and explained who Charlie Stanger was. I don't know if if uh, Kyle was 100% knew who who he was, but once it was explained, Charlie was a heavy hitter. Charlie Stanger is an old school gangster. Mm-hmm. He's a gangster's gangster. You know, they give anybody a run for their money, so he had a reputation. So uh, I think that kind of diffused a little bit, and I gained respect from Lagusa right away. And he never recognized me. If he did, I don't know if I'd still be standing here, but uh, everything went well. Louis showed up, and, uh, you know, he had a lot of questions. And I kind of – I survived that. I dodged that bullet, talked our way out of it. He came in and admitted to the Gambino guys, you know, this this kid, him and I have been at odds for a while, and we're both the same age. And he said, we've been at Oz for a while, but uh, I had him come into my social club tonight, and I was going to have my guys take him down in the basement, and if things didn't go well, you know, he kind of admitted right there, he was going to do me. And, uh, you know, the, the Gambinos guys, they, they stood up and said, well, you crazy? This is Charlie's, you know, this is Charlie's kid. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they went back and forth, a little banter, and, you know, we got through it. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought everything was well. I survived yeah. that night just fine. But then 10 minutes later, Charlie called me up. You know, he used to get those phone calls from Vegas, yeah. you know, to Vegas out to him. And he knew what went on, and he, he screamed at me, what are you doing? You know, 
You bring them to their house, you bring it to the Gambino's house. You bring our business, and, you know, this kid, one wrong move. If he says something, they can do something to him, they can do something to you, yeah. and then you're going to start it out of the pan and into the fire. Well, yeah, the other interesting thing, and I, and I think, you know, you, you, you get into all of this, people may not be cognizant of this. You're operating in New Jersey. It's probably the only state with the exception maybe of Florida and Nevada where you've got multiple families, all part of the, the give and take of what's going on. And you have to negotiate all of that and know who you're with and who somebody else is with and, and how it all overlaps. And it, you know, it's one thing, I guess, you had to be cognizant and looking over your shoulder worrying about your safety. But the other thing is the dynamics of the different interactions of the different organizations. And you're, you're thrust in the middle of that. Absolutely, absolutely, George. And Charlie was famous for that because he was on parole for murder. He was uh, living out in Nevada, and he couldn't get there. So I would have to take messages to these different families. Right. So because New York was so close, he would send me with a message to, at the end of the case, I think I was bringing messages or, or at least representing him and the family uh, in four of the five major families I right. was doing business with, mm-hmm. whether it was a meeting, take a message to this guy. And let me tell you, some of the messages weren't pleasant as you read, <laughs> yeah. you know, he, he sent me. He sent me into another borgata and told me, uh, "Go tell this guy what to do to his mother." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Giovanni, um, let's uh, let me let me stop you here for a quick second and and, and uh, tell us your background. You grew up in Bayonne, right in Bergen Point. Am I right about that, Eric? Yeah, yeah, I'm a, yeah. Yeah, I'm Police. a Bergen Bergen yeah. Point. Yeah, kid. All right, and uh, you know, I'm born and raised there. I'm born around, raised around that that neighborhood. Was all cops, gangsters, and blue yeah. collar guys from the docks at Bayonne. Yeah, and did I rewrite? Your dad was a cop. Am I right? He was. Yeah, he was a cop in the Hudson County area. Yeah. Um, you know, he. I grew up knowing these guys. I, yeah. I grew up around the Tino Fumaras and the you know oh. the oh, Bobby yeah. Manners of the world. Oh, and, sure, we know, know all about those yeah. fellas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just did a piece on Bobby Manners. Yeah, yeah. We just did. We just did. Yeah, we just did a piece a couple weeks ago. Yeah, he's on him. trying to get out. He's, he's trying, trying to get trying to get out of prison. He filed a new appeal and stuff like that. I'm so. gonna say all. They're all trying to get out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're all using COVID. Yeah. What did you What did you think about the the Calvacanti crime family? Just your personal observations of of that organization, the the so called farm team of the Gambinos over here in Jersey. What do you, you think about them? They give anybody, any other families a run for their money. They can mm-hmm. stand alone. They can stand on their own. As you know, they had a big stronghold and still do in New York. Mm-hmm. They have a New York faction. Um, but yeah, they're, they're old school. They're old school in what I saw growing up, what I saw in, in I grew up around John DeGilio and, and serious guys, Tino Fumara. Nice. These are the guys I watched growing up. Yeah. And these guys today still have those mannerisms about them, that close-knit community, that the social club aspect, everything is the same as what it was when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and, and because of their, they're always trying to prove themselves to the other families, I think, that they'll do anything. Um, they're very violent internally. They'll, they, they're not afraid to send a message, whatever that message, you know, whatever it takes. Explosives, mm-hmm. they'll blow each other up, as you heard Charlie say, you know. Mm-hmm. He used to tell me he, he even recommended I kill Louis with a hand grenade. Yeah, throw the Just grenade throw in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, are, they, are, they as, the are they as big in numbers as they were back in the 80s when I followed them when I worked in North Jersey? And I'll tell you a quick story later on. But uh, uh, what about their numbers? Are they still that strong? Everybody always asks us about the Philly mob, you know, uh, the size of it. But they're still a pretty significant organization, right, size-wise? They are, yeah. I think they're size-wise. Everybody has decreased in numbers, I think, across the board. But they maintain, I mean, they maintain their membership. It might be down from its original numbers 10 or 15 years ago, but they still, they're still a strong, uh, a strong force with a strong team, you know, uh, with an old school mindset. You know, you got Big Ears, Mujera, and, and those guys, 
uh, I think they're running the show now, and that they bring that old school mentality. The young guys want to come up under. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think they're pretty good in their size. How do you think? I mean, you kind of got over on these guys, uh, and, and you know, we'll get into this a little bit later about the, what it did to you personally. But I, did you have a sense? that they were accepting you because you were Charlie's guy or did they accept you because you were in the, in the life you were part of that? I mean, or was it a combination of those two things? So I never tried to be something that I wasn't George. I mm-hmm. was always, every case I ever worked, I came in as me. I, I'm, you know, that's me. I'm Giovanni. You could change my name to, you know, Ryan, uh, change it to a, a an Irish name. I'm always going to be the guy I am. I'm not going right. to change. So I think, it, it was good for me in some ways where I came in and I had that certain way. And I did have an exposure to outlaw bikers. And as you know, they're one percenters and, you know, oh, oh, yeah. they'll go to war by themselves if they have to. So I carried that way about me. Uh, Louis challenged me early on. Luigi asked me, where you come from? You walk like us, you talk like us, but I don't know you. I've been around yeah. this my whole life. And I had to explain to them, look, I, this is how I came up. I was, you know, I, I, I grew up around outlaw bikers and I came up this way. And, you know, I realized I can make better money doing this. Yeah, they so kept they kept asking like you. They kept asking you. You know, where did you come from? Yeah. Who were you with? Yeah. And yeah. I, I know you threw out yeah. the South Jersey part, and they were like, "We heard you were from Philly." I mean, that's a slippery slope to walk right there. But you you navigated oh, yeah. that like perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I navigated, and um, you know, they would reach out and they watched me. They watched my every move. When Charlie couldn't be around me, and Louis couldn't be around me, long before I was with Charlie, I made my way in. I think that's what made the uh, the attraction to Charlie. Yeah. was because he was already looking into he heard that Luigi was doing work with the guy and he heard that I was doing work with his nephew he was listening from the sidelines and then he realized he wanted in yeah. you know yeah. um and I already made my bones with with as far as earning and what I can prove to Luigi because I was bringing stuff down to the club right. to the social club uh, you know I did a couple of drug deals and you know I was doing a lot of that in the beginning with yeah. some of Luigi's crew yeah. and uh, so I made my bones like I made my way in and they accepted me, and then Charlie accepted me even more once he met me, yeah. because he saw me as being something he can he can groom. And uh, I never I never proclaimed to know the life. I always said, yeah, I know a little bit about it, but why don't you? I want to hear it from you. You tell me, because I don't want to I don't want to slip up. I don't ever want to make a mistake when I'm speaking for you. So he would literally we would sit and have tutorials on the phone huh. for hours. Well, I mean that that was that was one of the beauties I thought of what you were doing because you got all of this on tape. By, by approaching it that way. Tell me about it. What are, you know, and, and I think that's really, that works in that world. That These guys want to be able, I think, to, to be separate and apart. And you were asking about that, that, their life and, and, and the fascination with it. And it really came across. And I'm sure the tapes must have been, when you get those kind of tapes, you say, that's a home run, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, wish, I wish I could play the tapes. I, I, I hope that one day people get to hear them because yeah. they're, they're just priceless. You know, they're nuggets. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why everybody just pled out. Okay, nobody went to trial because of that reason. Well, see, I mean, yeah, that, that, running your crew. Yeah. that's another good example. I remember when George Fresalone down here wore a wire, and I think 30-some guys got indicted, and only one of them went to trial because of the tapes. You can't cross-examine a tape. A yeah. tape is a, is a great piece of evidence. So, yeah. Uh, the ta- right, right. Ma- making the tapes re- requires wearing a wire, sir. Yeah. And uh, your, your undercover training story about the wire thing, dude, I was falling off my couch while I was reading that. Yeah. Uh, so let me set okay. it up a little bit. Uh, you're, you're in training to be an undercover uh, 
employee kind of of the FBI doing your thing. You're going to wear a wire. They set up some scenarios for you. You <laughs> you deal with the scenarios, and then you have a little uh, kind of debriefing afterwards by a, a female supervisor. Um, and uh, it's all about you wearing the wire and where you're wearing it, where you're not wearing it, <laughs> with, with, you know, that kind of thing. So tell us about this. You you go through the scenario with the uh, the guys. In the training role, session. Yeah, yeah, the role players in the training se- session and – the whole thing, they check you for a wire, but tell the story about how they check you for a wire and what you did. <laughs> yeah, so they they gave me a scenario, and I went into the scenario, and uh, this was very touchy. Um, the Bureau didn't want me to tell the story because they were a little embarrassed over it. They didn't want it in the book. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but it is. It's enjoyable. So I, uh, you know, I had signed up. I, they approached me to become a full-time undercover, and in order to do so, I had to go for their training and go for these mental assessments. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's a long process. It's a very long process. And... Um, it's a commitment. You know, it's, it's some heavy duty stuff that we go through. Um, Joe Pistone had set this school up years ago and it's no joke. So I had gone into it having many, many years of undercover experience already, but I was self-taught. Everything was everything I knew from the street and growing up in Bayonne and being around people. And, uh, they thought I would fail. They thought, you know, you're, you're too, you're too far gone. We, we can't break your old habits. So I begged him and I said, look, I, I want to do it because when I bring a new guy in and teach him how to do this thing, I want to I want to make sure I teach him right. So they gave me a shot to go. And I quickly assessed it and realized that they're just messing with me. They don't like me because my sponsor, the guy who got me into the school, Pino, he's an old school gang, you know, uh, Italian looking guy. Yeah. And here's this Giovanni, just another just another greaseball, you know, just another guy from New Jersey, New York. And there's little clicks in the in the training centers. And this one woman. They set me up for failure. You know, they said I had to wear this particular recording device, and they made it mandatory that I have it on me when I go into the scenario. And uh, I walked in, and it, it got a little rough, and there was some guns involved and stuff. And they, they they really pumped it up, and I I got it on tape. And at the end, they do a debrief, mm-hmm. and they said, uh, you know, they asked me, so what happened? Where's this wire? Were you told? Were you instructed to wear a wire? And, and I said, yes, ma'am, I was. And this one girl really jumped out at me, and she's you know almost like that aha moment. And she was like, so you, you were told to wear a wire, you know, wear a device in here. And she, yes, I was. She says, so uh, where is that wire right now? Did you go outside? Did you put it? Where is it? Can you produce it right now? I said, yeah, I could produce it. She's like, did you did you take it off of your person? Is it out in another room? I said, no, no, I can get it right here. And there was this tension building in the room. And <laughs> I said, you know, if you don't mind, I'll just reach in. I, I don't want to, you know, use the wrong language on your show. But uh, I was like, if you like, I just reach into my pants and grab it. I'll hand it right over to you. <laughs> so, uh, so there was some embarrassment and, uh, yeah. you know, my, my mentor, the guy who was my counselor at the time, uh, he met me in the hallway and he was like, cause he got brownie points for me doing such a great job. And he was, Oh, it's great job. Great job. Yeah. He says, all right. Uh, you know, I can't believe it. Has, I said, here, you want this? And he goes, no, I don't want that thing. That was in it. it was almost in your ass. I don't yeah, want that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and he, he literally said, go give it to a tech guy. Go give it to the tech guy. Don't yeah. tell him it was in your pants. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, uh, you know, the title of the book is Giovanni's Ring. Yeah. And and there's a story behind mm-hmm. that. Uh, tell us the story so we, we know why you picked the title. Yeah. Yeah, so the title was, um, after giving us some thought, The Ring, and I, I talk about in the book, uh, the process I had gone to when I pulled in my driveway and I tried to leave Giovanni Gatto behind and become Giovanni Rocco again for the sake of my family. And, um, of course, some of the jewelry I had were assets that belonged to the Bureau, and I had a, a very gaudy pinky ring that I wore. And it wasn't one of my real ones that I wore in true name. Um, and I had a process where I would never let it come in my house. Again, my Uncle Sam gave it to me. It's paid for by my Uncle Sam, so I don't care if somebody breaks in and takes it. I really didn't give a crap. 
So I would take the ring off, put it in my little cup holder, and I leave it there till the next day. Because it's almost like a switch and, uh, you know, a mental checkout, if you would. And I, I used to remind myself, okay, I'm, I'm taking this ring off. I'm leaving this, this piece of garbage out here in the, in the car, and I'm going in to see my kids and my family. And uh, so I did that. And over, over time, when you live the same life over and over for years, what I found in the end was, you know, I thought I never let Giovanni Gatto into my house, but he had gotten into my house a long time. Somebody left the door unlocked, and, you know, he was living with my wife and kids. And, uh, you know, I, they paid the price as well, you know, because uh, I, I really ignored them when I was under. And I didn't, even when I was home, I didn't spend time with my family. I was always involved in a case, updating a case agent or something like that. So that, that was one. And then the ring, of course, what I was doing in my crime ring, the fact that Charlie had me running a crew, and I did have guys reporting to me every day, and I was doing my running my own crime ring, so it had multiple reasons for the for the name. So that's why I said Giovanni's ring. No, it, it's the the personality switch that you had to go through or, or attempt to go through. I mean, that comes through during the entire book. You're almost battling two different Giovannis. You're you're fighting internally. Uh, who are you? Where are you? And and I, I, I came away thinking your, your wife should be uh, nominated for sainthood dealing with what she had to deal with. No, I mean, because you get into that, and people don't realize that. She was doing everything with the kids because you couldn't. And, and, and that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a strain on a relationship. And it's, uh, I mean, I think it's to her credit that you, you guys are still uh, a family. And that, that, that was like part of the backstory of the book. And I think that's another reason why the book works so well. It's a very human story. Right. Well, I was very raw when I told it, George, and I just yeah. wanted to share what I'm not the only guy who goes through this every day. Just, you know, I'm now that I'm out of that game uh, every day, there's there's undercovers that go through this and covert operatives, even military. This is the life they live every day and they can't tell anybody what they're doing. Yeah. You don't get on a stage and get awards at the, you know, when there's award ceremonies, you don't get invited, you know, because you can burn right. your identity. Yeah. So you're almost alienated, even from within the bureau. Like, um, somebody asked me recently who I worked with in the Philly area, and I, I can't even name names because yeah. half the guys I met that were law enforcement, I never met. They always thought I was a bad guy. They always thought I was a rat. They didn't know I was an undercover. You know, they thought I was an informant. Yeah. So because they didn't need to know. So when you're living that life, you really become that person. You know, um, my, my wife, you would think because she had law enforcement background that she was, she herself worked some undercover work early on, and she was smart enough to not want to do it, and she she went a different route in her career. But yeah, it put a big strain on because once uh, Jimmy Smalls, Charlie's nephew, he right. was, I was doing business with him and he called me up one day and he, uh, he said, listen, are you on the Gothel's Bridge right now? Mm. And uh, <laughs> I was. He saw me in traffic yeah, yeah. and I had my son sleeping in the back seat. Uh. And, uh, you know, things like that. And then the soccer game, you know, being being seen at a public event when yeah. Giovanni Gatto doesn't have kids. What are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. well, that, that, that's what I'm, I'm going to walk you through that right now because since we're talking about family mm-hmm. matters, as, as a family man, you uh, took your kids to a soccer tournament. Uh, we've all kind of been down that yeah. road, and uh, I've been to probably 500 of them. George is going to them now with his grandkids. Uh, you're at a, a <laughs> soccer tournament with your kids. I, I'm assuming it was your daughter who was playing. Am I right about that? Right. Yeah, right. It was my daughter's first game uh, in a big tournament. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was one of these massive statewide tournaments. Right. I was not happy about being there. I swore I'd always be one of these parents, not a travel sports guy. You yeah. know, I never, but I, I, I bought in hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> so here I am on a Saturday, Sunday event. And, 
my parents were in town. I invited them to come to the first one, and we were all sitting there between games, as you do, uh, waiting for the next game. We're eating lunch, and things are all great. And I'm sitting there in my weekend attire and my flip-flops and just kind of hanging out. <laughs> and next thing I know, here comes Danny Batelli. And he's with the Gambinos. I was doing business with him for a while. He was my guy that, that kind of vouched for me, not vouched for me in a way, but watched over me and my actions and got reported back to me for Charlie. When Charlie couldn't find out, this guy would look into me. He would look in, you know, really, really watch me every day and, and look into my background. And uh, he knew I was from New York. He knew I was single. He knew I had a girlfriend. And uh, here he comes walking across the field right at me. And I'm looking at him, and as he gets closer, I'm saying, man, that doesn't look like Gooms. That looks just like Gooms. That's Gooms. And in my head, my wheels are spinning. And the the old crap moment, I decide I'm going to get out of my chair real fast, and I'm going to I'm gonna flank him on his right side. And as I come around, I kind of surprised him. He was still on his phone. And I thought for sure he saw me with the kids and the family. And, and I came at him. I said, hey, Gooms. And he turned around. It, it, you could see he was just blown away. And as soon as I went to come in for the kiss and acknowledge his his uh, his title, he he put his finger right in my chest and pushed me back. Like got you could see everything. His whole demeanor changed. What are you doing, Giovanni? What are you doing here? I say hey, it's me. Come here, give me a kiss and a hug. Now, what are you doing here? You don't have kids. Why are you here? Are you following me? And he just went completely like defensive. Are you following me? Why are you here? What, what would you be following me for? So he actually thought. My family might have been following their guys, or who the hell knows what he was thinking. But kids, why are you here? So I pulled the story out of my butt like a good undercover, and I made something up, and I just told them, nah, this is, you know, a girl I used to date, and blah, blah, blah. I went through this whole story, and I quickly changed it on him, and I said, do you do this every weekend? Gooms, this is crazy. Look at all these cars and people. And he goes, oh, forget about it, you know. So I kind of de-escalated it very quickly. Uh, he goes, oh, I didn't know you had a girlfriend with a kid. Yeah, nah, she's playing the team, you know. And then right away, he's asking, peppering me with questions. Well, where is she? Where? Ah, she was like two fields over that way. I'm trying walking around trying to find my car, trying to find my truck. And he goes, yeah, my, I'm walking in my car. He points at my parents and my <laughs> family. And he says, oh, there's my car right there. The reason why he was walking right at me, and I missed it, which was off, thinking I'm okay. And I was sitting right on the bumper of his Mercedes, you know. And uh, that's where I was eating my sandwich. And I said, ah, you know, I kind of quick blew it off. And I was like... This is crazy. I don't know how you do that. Oh, forget about it. This is nuts. Don't get into this, Giovanni. You know, you don't want to do this on the weekends. It ruins your life. This is why I can never, every time you call me on a weekend, this is why I'm not around. I said, ah, this is crazy. Yeah. And uh, I said, all right, let me get out of here. I got to go find my car. And I left and I walked. I just walked. And eventually, you know, my wife had called and my old man to come get me. Yeah, well, I mean, too interesting. I had to come clean yeah. with him because, you know, what the hell is going on here? Uh, two interesting things about that story is, one, your wife was able to pick up right away on what was going on and deal with it. And the other thing was, yeah. if I'm remembering this correctly, his daughter was going to play the next game against your daughter. Is that correct in that tournament? He was. <laughs> yeah, he was correct. So we had a plan yeah, I mean, in place to it. You could have been yeah, on the sidelines cheering. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't make this up here, yeah. Giovanni. Yeah, no, you, no, you, you got a good shoot. You shoot it. You shoot it. What that? I, I said, you can't make this kind of story up. It was so good, man. I'm, I'm telling you, you had, me, <laughs> no. you had me glued to the book the whole time with that those kind of stories. Yeah. Murphy's Law. Yeah. yeah, but we did have a plan in place with my wife, and we always had, because it wasn't the first time I had done major cases before. And, uh, you know, let's just say I, I kind of pissed the organization that decided they were going to put a hit on me. 
Um, I, I would guess like two years before this one started. And uh, this wasn't our first rodeo as far as like, you know, having a target on me. And, um, you know, we always had a plan for escape. We always had a plan for if I walk away or she walked away and, you know, we could be in the middle of the mall. If, if I just walk away, then just, you know, we'll mm. figure it out later. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. she did catch on. She caught on. She saw the kiss and she knew right away that, you know, this was something serious and she grabbed it. And, you know, thank God for that. Yeah. But from that point on, we never went in public again. We never went out anywhere in public again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got to ask you, um, uh, the Ribera Club. Uh, I used to stake that place out when I was a reporter producer for New Jersey Network up in Newark, and uh, hang around there and watch John Riggy and watch the boys coming and going from the hotel at the airport and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, let's finish the first uh, the first show here with uh what's it like being in one of those social clubs when the whole gang is there and you really got to be on your game right so i worked years before this even you know my undercover i worked vice when vice and organized crime was still a thing right Mm -hmm. i worked these task forces in the early 90s and plenty of time i did my surveillances also on the ribera club when it was the old ribera club and then uh you know of course tino's funeral parlor and i knew the stories you know, and uh, I sat outside like you. I went to the funerals. I took the pictures for surveillance, and I did. But now I'm sitting on the inside. Mm-hmm. Now I'm walking into the new club, and I'm I'm walking into the uh, the social aspect of this family. I mean, I'm walking right up in it. When I used to take pictures of guys, now I'm talking to these guys. That was something that uh, it had. To, that was a big adjustment. Mm-hmm. You know, because I knew the names, and then I was, I can't say, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard of you. You know, you, you never right. want to say yeah. that. Yeah. that yeah. That's yeah. something like that will get you killed. You know, so uh, it was a it was a big adjustment. I didn't want to go into the the first part when I was offered to to go into the Ribera Club. I had to, to return some cocaine that was sold to me, and it was it was no good. It was all uh, cut, and they told me to go to the Ribera Club and drop it off. And I I actually refused to go inside the club because I was fearful at that point early on in his case when I was just doing drug deals that I was afraid somebody might recognize me or afraid like you know I just didn't want to go. I didn't want to put myself in that position. But once you're in, you know, there's no hesitation. You better walk in like you own a place after that. You know. Um, hey, listen. So uh, it, was, yeah, it was very eye-opening. A lot of props for for doing that. I mean, uh, I, I, it takes a lot of guts just to sit outside those places, and you know, because sometimes you get hassled. <laughs> People come. What happened to me in New York outside outside one of John Gotti's clubs? I was told I couldn't park on the block, and I'm like, the f I can't, you know. And it, that that didn't that didn't, <laughs> did not go well after that. Hey, listen, uh, we're we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up the first half hour, Giovanni, but we're having you back. So uh, if you're the audience and you love the first half hour, you're gonna love the second half hour. So I ask you to stay around. Uh, I appreciate you listening to part one of this and we'll be back with Giovanni next week with part two he has a very captivating story about his life undercover the impact it had on him we want to get some observations maybe share a few mob nicknames in there so uh, we got a few things George I appreciate you joining us this week absolutely we and, want to uh, miss Giovanni uh, hang around brother because we're going to have you back it's uh, a great story really really great book Giovanni's Ring My Life Inside the Real Sopranos pick it up if you get a chance to it's an easy read you'll love it Giovanni thanks Thanks.